Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh and welcome back to another episode of the Umarpreneur podcast. Guys, I'm super excited for this guest that I'm bringing to you today. This is an episode that has been a few weeks in the making and I'm so looking forward to the discussion that we're having today and it's going to be with my dear brother Ahmad Jawa who is of the the company is now called Mashallah Money and it was previously called Think Halal and Grow Rich, right? I personally think is a phenomenal and super catchy name, mashallah. So I'm going to dive into the whole backstory behind his vision, behind his company, why he started this entire endeavor, what does he want to achieve and accomplish, and what kind of impact he wants to make, as well as his experiences and lessons learned along the way. So tune in. This is going to be an absolute masterclass of an episode, and we're going to talk about a lot of fun stuff, inshallah. So Ahmed, assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the podcast, brother. I'm so excited to have you. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah for having me. I've been watching you for about like two years. Honestly, I've watched <laughs> really? a lot wow. of the other podcasts, like, and I love what you're doing, man. Love what you're doing. I appreciate you, man. Pleasure I appreciate you, brother. That means a lot. That means a lot, brother. And I'm so excited for you to be here as well. And I want to know the backstory, man, because I mean, you know, think, think and grow rich. Wow. What a book. This book was, you know, and it currently is actually still one of probably the highest bestsellers in the self-help and kind of personal development category, right? Every, mm-hmm. every single person knows about Think and Grow Rich, knows about Napoleon Hill. And I love how you've taken this concept and you've halalified it and you're like, think halal and grow rich. And then of course, right now you've changed, you upgraded the name to Mashallah Money, but tell me, bro, what is this about? What, what, kind, what are you building here with this movement and this company? Yeah, I mean, with um, so right now it's just a YouTube channel, but you're right, inshallah, my goal is to make it like an entire platform and maybe, you know, we can work together. We can think about some how ways we can all uh, benefit the ummah. The goal at the end of, of the day, honestly, is to grow Muslim entrepreneurs and generally help people make money in a halal way. Because the reality is <clears throat> the way that current finance and the entire ecosystem has been constructed, it's um, very beneficial for a few. And there's a lot of, um, you know, societal, environmental uh, destruction behind how money can be produced for for these few individuals, mm-hmm. uh, but when you look at how the beauty of the beauty of how um, how Islamic finance or Islamic entrepreneurship works is phenomenal. Uh, I mean, when you start studying the impact that it can have on the world, it just it just changes your mind in everything. Because then you realize there's a way that you can make money uh, and impact people in a very positive way without hurting the few that could be, uh, you know. Um, in, in, in the conventional process would be hurt, mm-hmm. but in this way, they will be they, they won't be as you know they won't be hurt. They will be rather uh, uplifted in a way also. So Khair, uh, the channel was just a start because I had a lot of friends who kept sending me messages asking me, Ahmed, is this stock halal? Is this stock halal? Is this stock halal? And I've been uh, trading since I was 16, and I learned the Islamic way of trading and all that stuff along the way. And and then uh, you know in university, my friends were everybody was into this stock markets and and um the crypto was just starting up and it was like how do we get involved and i was like there's a halal way of getting involved and then they, i got bombarded with too many questions like is this stock halal? is this stock law is options halal? is the futures halal? and so i said okay i'm i'm not i realized there's not a lot of people following the methods properly so then i started the youtube channel and then it just kind of took over and after that i realized there's so much more that could be done on there um and ever since then i've been you know um creating content, trying to help people make money in, in a permissible manner. 
I love him, Ryan. Now, look, there's a lot of people that are in the same little situation as you, right? Their friends come up to them. They ask them questions. They, you know, have a certain talent. They have a certain expertise, but they never make the decision to move forward and actually put themselves out there. And we all know that, you know, putting yourself out there is probably the most challenging thing for most entrepreneurs when they're getting started. I think one of the biggest questions that I get normally when I, when I get on the calls with uh, people who are interested in our mentorship, one of the questions that tends to come up, which is really interesting is, do I have to put myself on video? Do I have to share content where I, you know, am, am showing myself and showing my face? And the answer that I commonly give really is that, you know, a lot of people tell me this is just because I'm an introvert or I'm generally a little bit more shy. I don't like to put myself out there. And one common answer that I really give is that, look, the, the way that you are right now and who you are right now has gotten you to where you are in life. Everything that you have, sure. everything that you own, you know, where you are is pretty much a manifestation of who you are within you. And if you want to reach a higher level, if you want to, you know, build a business, you want to make a bigger impact, you really want to make a difference in the world, it's going to require a different version of you. One that overcomes those inner challenges, those inner discomforts, those insecurities towards putting yourself, yourself out there. And a lot of times we kind of tend to want to stay in our comfort zone while still getting everything else that we want, right? It's kind of like we want to have our cake and eat it too, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So I want to ask you, because you're clearly someone who has gotten past that, who's, you know, pushed through the discomfort and put himself, put himself out there, puts himself out there every single day, creates YouTube videos, is consistent, mashallah, and really is working <laughs> towards a bigger vision. So tell me, what drives you, brother? And what even allowed you to say, you know what, I'm going to take this from a simple, like my friends are asking me advice to actually building something. Oh man, that's a, that's a wholesome question. And I think the way you put it is I should call you not omapreneurship, we should call you shakepreneur. Uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, so, you know what? I, I, Alhamdulillah, for me, I was always an extrovert, right? I, I say I'm like an extreme extrovert. I enjoy myself being in situations where I'm networking, where I'm just talking to people and, you know, being outside and uh, just, you know, being with people and just mm -hmm. talking and enjoying myself. So from that perspective, it wasn't as difficult, I think. Um, but what I would say to people who are interested in taking that next step is try to understand it like this. You're a brand. You can make the most genius product, the most genius service. But if nobody knows about it, it's there. It's just sitting there. It's not going to be anywhere. Like it, no one's going to talk about it. No one's going to understand. No one's going to be able to purchase it and benefit from it. Even if it's not about money, if it's about, but there is, has to be a concept of benefit either to society, either to yourself or either to the people around you. Mm -hmm. So that cannot be uh, pushed out until there's no marketing angle to it. And the marketing aspect comes with almost everything in life. You are selling yourself every time, anytime, mm -hmm. like for all the way, all the, uh, you know, just by, uh, from one side of, you know, asking your mother, can I eat this? Can I go this? Can I do that? You're selling yourself to and getting permission, you know, to get that thing. Mm -hmm. On the other side, like if you go all the way to marriage, it's the same thing. You're, you're selling yourself to the person in the sense that, hey, I need to go out. So just like that, you have to kind of sell that brand for the betterment of yourself or society, whatever way you want to look at it. And I mean, social media is one platform, but I, I'd say there's many platforms. If you're an introvert, you got LinkedIn, you can make articles about that. You have a blog, you can push the blog out through various methodologies. Um, and then but social media is the most common one. And it's the, I would say it's the most impactful for the time and effort you're going to put in, right? Just getting out there and making a video, 
putting it out there, letting people consume it and give, you know, give you raw feedback is probably something that is very valuable and plus you get a sale out of it. So yeah, um, yeah understand that you, you, if you want to sell a brand, you have to kind of put yourself out there. Um, and there's a lot of ways that you can do it. Just see what's comfortable for you. And as you said, sometimes you have to get a little uncomfortable. And that's the greatest form of learning is when you get uncomfortable, you, you face your fears and you get through that, that, that is pure growth. Because you're doing something that's totally out of your realms and you're learning so much while doing it. And if you if you fight through it, you've just learned an entirely new skill set. Hundred percent. And one thing that you uh, that as well, I want to kind of follow up with is really the act of consistency and not focusing on the results, but the long term vision. And this is something I'll be transparent about, like with our YouTube channel. Um, some of the videos that we put out, Alhamdulillah, have have thousands of views and you know reach a large audience. And some of them. Despite having a lot of value, right? I don't, and kind of, you know, putting our heart and soul into it, we'll maybe go out there, maybe have, or in our 100 views, 200, maybe 300, right? Depending on the performance. Now, this is for me something that I don't look at. I've really built a certain type of like resilience where it's like, I'm just doing the thing for the sake of doing the thing. Right. As in the sense of like, I just want to make sure that we're consistent with this and we're putting out quality content for the people that do want to pay attention and do want to watch. And ultimately, if it's destined for us to, you know, uh, pop off and, and, and grow a bigger audience at some point, inshallah, that will happen uh, with the barakah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if that's not meant to be right now, that's OK. I mean, I have a lot of people that actually comment and they're like, man, dude, you're you're videos are so high quality. I don't understand why you have a bigger audience. And I always reply, I'll be like, it's all like, it's all good. You know, like, well, it'll happen when it's the right time. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Ultimately right now I'm doing the work for the sake of doing the work, not to just see, you know, those views rack up or to see a certain result. And I think this is also really important. And it's the reason why I'm bringing this up is because it's a factor that I'm seeing in you as well. I see a lot of consistency in the videos that you put out in the content that you put out. And I can clearly see that what your focus is, it's on how can I create topics that are interesting? How can I talk about things that people will benefit from? And that's really the main priority. And you're not looking at what are the numbers? What is, what is it that I can kind of touch upon and, you know, get millions of views, but rather how can I just be consistent with this and really create for the sake of bringing value? Now, tell me about that a little bit for you. What is your process when you're out there, you're working on your YouTube channel, you're creating, you're doing the work. What is it that you're thinking about? Yeah, I mean, this is a great point. Like this is this is a lot of the YouTubers talk about this whole thing about consistency and initially starting off, you just want quantity. Then you slowly merge into quality also. And then you have high quality with decent qu- uh, quantity. And then you push that out and you be very mm-hmm. consistent with that because consistency means uh, you're building that trust and that bond with, with, with that community, the community that mm-hmm. you're producing um, content for. And I agree with you. Sometimes I've made videos where I'm like, this video is so impactful. Uh, like, this is something, I, like, I, I don't care about the views. I don't care about uh, uh, what, what what the likes are or whatever. I just want people to watch it so they can learn from it. Like, mm-hmm. there's nobody else that has talked about some concepts that I've talked about on my, on my channel because I'm linked, alhamdulillah, I'm linked to some really good people from the Islamic finance industry which are very like senior, like very respected in their field. And I and I take information, from, they don't have YouTube channels. They don't want to be on YouTube. They're like, but ulama, you know, we can do like the the sharia, the fiqh, the kida, and we can do all this stuff, but we don't want to be on YouTube. And so I take their, their ilm from them, put a practical twist to it, and then I display it to the world. And I'm like, this right here is very important. And then all I, right. and then and it doesn't perform as well. And I'm just thinking like, like it's, and then I'm like, you know what? If you're gonna push these things up and it's it's very important to be consistent still, 
and we keep going at it and uh, you know really pray that inshallah sometime in the algorithms pick up and the views go up for it or and, and people mm-hmm. watch it and learn and take something from it but the one key thing that you did say if you're a youtuber and or you think about it consistency is very important because you are producing this content and you're pushing it out there and the moment that you stop with the consistency is the moment that the people see that you've kind of given up on yourself mm-hmm. and why would they trust you when you don't trust yourself with what you're doing so yeah. it's like um you know it's the whole aspect of that family that bond that honesty that trust and to just keep fighting through that's one thing about an entrepreneur um that they always just keep fighting through and they always mm-hmm. keep um, pushing for uh, a quality quality based product or solution and mm-hmm. if it doesn't initially push up if they're strong believers in that product, they'll keep going through. Look at Amazon. He had like yeah. 10 years of debt, but he kept pushing through, right? And now we have Jeff Bezos, Mr. Jeff Bezos. So, subhanAllah, like, yeah, you got to be very consistent. My yeah. process is the other part that you asked. Um, I'll be honest. Um, you'll also see this in my videos is that I sometimes, I have a mixture of few things. So we have podcasts like you do. Um, I have some videos when it comes to just ex- explainer videos, some um, motivational videos about entrepreneurship, business, finance and how the world works and economics. Um, so I try to mass produce a few over the weekends, but if a, if a video needs to go in a certain time frame, for example, crypto is one of the products that I like ecosystems that I talk about because mm-hmm. that's like what, where I work. I am a, I'm a head of marketeer for a crypto project, a halal crypto project. And so there's a lot that I talk about with crypto and that needs to come out in that time frame. So it's like, I'll have those mass produced videos too, which are basic concepts that every everybody who's interested in entrepreneurship should understand then those go out you know on a weekly basis but then also just specifically those crypto or those specific time sensitive content will be like made mm-hmm. overnight it'll be edited and by tomorrow it should be up um and that's you know you kind of have to work with a little bit of all that stuff yeah definitely now one thing that i do want to ask you that when we're touching upon like resiliency consistency all of these topics here now how long have you been working on your project mashallah money oh <laughs> alhamdulillah it's been i think like you i think it's been roughly one year and nine months eight months Okay, cool. Yeah. So we've had the podcast for around two years, but Umarpreneur, alhamdulillah, we've been we've been around for a little bit over three. So okay. we're as well, you know, we've been in this game uh, for a few years now, and, and inshallah, I like to say three years going on thirty is 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 the plan, right? So yeah. w- one thing that I do wanna that I do wanna touch upon for you is as you're you're kind of going through this process, right? Again, a lot of it is as well challenging yourself and thinking, okay how do I create good content? And also how do I really focus in on a specific audience, on a specific niche? And how do I really give as much value as possible within that audience, within that niche? And you've chosen, of course, to really work specifically with the Muslim community, right? Providing Sharia compliant advice on halal stocks versus haram stocks, halal cryptos, haram cryptos, et cetera, et cetera, and really shedding a light on that. Now, for you, ultimately, what is the long-term vision that you want to achieve with yeah. Mashallah Money, right? What is it that you want to, where do you want to see yourself in the next five years? So, Vana, this is, uh, because I, I'm, I'm a long-term thinker, and so I, I think about this often, actually. Yeah. Uh, recently, I, I, I sat on um, with a uh, very successful Muslim entrepreneur uh, from the UK, and uh, him, me and him kind of had a conversation in regards to this, where do I see this brand going in about you know three years two years five years and genuinely i've realized that 
there's gonna be a lot of people who are interested in what I'm doing uh, for the sake of just interest. And then there's gonna be mm-hmm. people who are gonna take learn, implement and action and result, right? Mm-hmm. And so I realized that there needs to be, if uh, take that in, in, uh, initial audience and continuously make content for them, but take the second audience who are gonna act upon it and result something and make a, a, a community with that, make a genuine mm-hmm. community behind that where we're working towards, you know, entrepreneurship, growth, uh, finan- uh, financial independence, time independence, you know, all those different independencies. And then um, let's make a massive group behind that, you know, potentially, mm-hmm. inshallah, have a few courses from those few courses, um, make a Discord community. The Discord community is like a group of individuals who are smart and they understand the financial markets from a halal perspective. And then how can we all benefit one another plus benefit the ummah? Like one of the reasons why I started the channel was for, you know, help out people to make, uh, you know, halal investments. But the other side was genuinely to bring shahur to the Muslims, like bring a concept of confidence with finance with the Muslim community. Because finance is a, is a taboo topic. Let's be honest here. Like within mm-hmm. our communities, culture and religiously, a lot of people don't talk about it. But you know what the funny thing is? Sunnah-wise, finance should not be a taboo topic. Finance was a big part of a lot of different actions within the Islamic history. And we should be openly talking about how to make money, how to generate money, so we can give more zakah, we can give more uh, sadqah, we can do more for the community, right? Right now, what, what we see internationally, um, like this is one thing, and and you can uh, add on to this if you want, but whenever I see around the world, globally, Muslims facing distress, but the globe not respecting it as they are a community, Mm-hmm. It hurts me, right? As an as, as, as an individual, not yeah. even just because they're Muslim, but also because of humanity, right? Now take that, and I and I and in my in my past, I I was part of United Nations. I, I worked for United Nations for, uh, for a certain period of time, and I realized that what what confines as power that can make genuine impact, it's either politics, policies, or finance. If you have these three, then genuinely we can make a change. Where if something happens in Palestine, we can stand up and with an actual uh, actual confidence say, this should not be happening, which mm-hmm. will be acted upon because we have 20, 30, 40 big Muslim entrepreneurs who had $100 million in these corporations that are funding this action. So then you can, they, they'll be like, we'll back out our money if you continue these actions. And then they will take, they will feel a real economic, uh, you know, uh, distress for that. Mm-hmm. And then they'll stop doing what they're doing. So my general goal is to make us and, and make just even generally, it doesn't have to be Muslim, but people who are ethic based have more finance in their hands so they can make a bigger impact, not by just talking about it or, you know, just uh, complaining, but by by being someone whose actions are speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. I yeah. understand. Definitely. And, and, you know, that actually reminds me of integrity, which is, you know, when you look at like the integrity of a person, generally it's you know, meaning what you say and saying what you mean. And what that means is mm-hmm. uh, like your actions are aligned with your words, which is exactly what you just mentioned earlier. And I really, truly believe that a lot of times, unfortunately, as a community, what happens is we are really great at, you know, communicating at, at you know, saying beautiful words about, you know, all the things we need to do and all the ways that we want to help. But one thing that I think we, one thing that I truly believe we could use more of is action takers, people who actually 
say, okay, I want to help, you know, the Muslims, uh, the, or let's say the Uyghur Muslims who are suffering in China, or I want to help the Muslims in Palestine, or I want to help even just the Muslims here locally within North America who, you know, maybe are working jobs but are still struggling to provide for their families and are still really not in the position that they want to be where they're comfortable and they're able to, you know, have the impact, have, you know, just exactly. the financial ability that they want. And a lot of times we kind of have the the desire, but then what happens is, there's kind of this middle point where I think, I, I th and again, I, I might, um, I, I might be going off the, rail, the rails with this, but I truly think that one bias that we have as Muslims is we think, well, everything is the qadr of Allah. So mm. I'm not going to push myself outside of my comfort zone more than I need to, because everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has written for me, yeah, that's what will, that will, that's what will come. And that's, Absolutely contrary to the perspective that you, that, you know, the Sahabas had, that the Prophet and his companions had. When you look at the companions of the Prophet, every single day for them was discomfort. Every single day for them was, you know, breaking boundaries, traveling to, you know, um, other countries and continents to spread Islam, to go and face people who were completely opposed to this new religion, to spread the religion and to actually have those conversations. And they didn't just sit back and say, well, you know what, this is my comfort zone right now. Whatever happens to me is the will of Allah and that's it. Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And what you're saying is accurate. Like, uh, you know what I say? Like, for example, um, I was in Pakistan some time ago and um, I said, we're very good at complaining, but we're not good at so solving the problem that we're complaining about. I saw a group of people just sitting around and complaining about the same concept for like God knows how long. And there's young men. And I was like, well, one of you guys get one of you guys get up and say, okay, we're going to solve this problem. You guys come with me. And we're gonna go adjust this, and we or if we can't do it, we'll figure out who can do it, and we'll all work together to solve the problem. That's mm -hmm. the difference I feel between, you know, our youth and like, and, and you know, I see in a lot of Muslim country youth and and and, and places like the West, like mm -hmm. there's such a high push for solving problem mm -hmm. and taking actions upon what you believe needs to be corrected in the in in, in the West, but but it might also be the privilege of having money, right? You know, that's another thing I talk about, I think about is maybe it's the privilege of having money that you can think about solving problems, which are, uh, which requires you to be out of your comfort zone because you have the mm -hmm. finance to fund your life to a certain point. So you can mm -hmm. work on solving problems. You're not in the, because when you look at like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and that's an mm -hmm. interesting point that you bring up, like you have survival at the bottom of the, at uh, the bottom of the pyramid, and then yep. eventually you move upwards towards actualization. And of yep. course, a lot of times when you're in survival mode, um, you know, you, what you're focused on is putting food on the table, making sure that, you know, you can, you can, you're, you're good for the next day and the next week and the yeah. next month. Yeah. But one thing that I, that I have been seeing, and this is, uh, this is where I'm going to turn this conversation into a positive light and Let's I appreciate what you're Let's do it. for sure. <laughs> One thing that I am seeing is <clears throat> like right now more than ever, especially with, you know, I, I was going to say my, our generation, but it's not even true because so many of the people that I've interviewed on this podcast are actually subhanAllah, like brothers that are, you know, uh, close to my father's age, like, you know, that are in their fifties, some of them in their sixties, some of them in their forties, all of them creating these amazing projects, these amazing businesses for the Ummah. And yeah. even a lot of young guys and even more so, even specifically with an entrepreneur, I'll tell you this, and this is a really interesting statistic and it's really cool. Mm -hmm. We have more sisters within our programs building businesses than brothers. So which is really interesting. And yeah. what I'm what I'm starting to see is that there's actually 
Like, man, we got to give the sisters some credit, bro. Like, a lot of the brothers are out here. They're complacent, bro. They're getting their engineering degree, and they're like, I'm set for life. That's it. Where's the nine to five? Let's go. Yeah, you know, yeah. whereas the sisters are over here, like, I'm not happy with this. What can I build? Let's make a difference. And subhanAllah, like, they're really, like, carrying the torch right now. At least with an entrepreneur, I can tell you that as a statistic, literally, we have more sisters building businesses than brothers right now, mm. um, which is which is incredible, mashallah. And um, a lot for a lot of the uh, the entrepreneurs that I've spoken to, I may be wrong and I may be biased because, you know, I'm, I'm shining a light on this right now and I'm interviewing so many people on this podcast and getting to know all these amazing Muslims and they're probably already there and I don't know about them, but I am seeing at least a certain trend where within the last two, three years, since I've started Omarpreneur, I've had the pleasure and the, I would say really the privilege to speak to so many entrepreneurs that are right now starting to tap into the world of business to build solutions for the Muslim community. And I, I truly see a movement for the better within the space. Mm -hmm. And I see that there is a, a greater awareness day by day happening. And there is a shift slowly happening within the Muslim community that there are people that are really pushing towards making a difference towards building solutions towards really pinpointing what are the problems that we have and how can we solve those problems and i truly i'm personally very optimistic about the future inshallah and i really truly see a difference in just everything that people are doing right now what are, you, yeah, what are your thoughts on that no i i'm just like you i'm a very optimistic individual also i i do believe um there there is potential because you know what they say uh, tough times makes strong men strong men mm -hmm. make good times right mm -hmm. so i think there's a lot of us in our communities have recently just within the last 20 30 years have went through some really tough times um and i think that's kind of brought that aspect that we need to um think about ways to grow continue become financial free um you know how can we be people of impact have a legacy in our life um so I think there there is that aspect for sure, but I think there's there still is a lag that we have, mm -hmm. um, and that lag I th it might be from because our you know the, the the push from the parent side, the push from maybe society, uh, whatever it is. But there is a lag that I still see that a lot of people still have, um, and that lag needs to be like dealt with quicker mm -hmm. than than later because that. Mm -hmm. As long as we continue with that old type of mindset, um, we're not going to be able to push through to to the future and and and, and to yeah. change and grow. For example, here, like you said, um, entrepreneurship, and you've interviewed a lot of guys. We are building a project in us in a pool of maybe where there's 20, 40, 50,000 crypto projects out there. And uh, so the project that I work on that I'm working on is called Marhaba DeFi, MRHB DeFi. Um, really? I didn't know that you were part of this that project as well. That's really cool. I'm going to ask you a few questions about it. Yeah, me? go for it. Go for it, for sure. I mean, one of the I'm one of the founding members. So, so when it was just an idea, and I, I mean, this is, by the way, um, I was contacted because somebody saw my YouTube channel. And at that time, I was working for IBM. And uh, they were like, hey, listen, you know crypto, you know Islamic finance, and you understand marketing. Do you want to come on to the to the project and, and make this idea into an actual implementation? And Subhanallah so was a few strong-minded uh, brothers um, who understood the concept and we pushed hard. I'm talking, we had very difficult times, but that's entrepreneurship, right? That's startup. Yeah. So we've pushed hard and we got it to a point where we raised $5.5 million. We've been producing products into the ecosystem as we speak right now. Um, so like that, and I'm, what I'm trying to, what I'm really trying to say is that we are one project mm -hmm. in the pool of like 
40, yeah. 50,000. There's a right. few other projects that are coming up now, which are like halal crypto or halal, halal DeFi solutions, but they're not anywhere close. Like like the development, the structure, sorry. Um, the development, the structure, like, and so I, I think about it and I'm like, and we, we, we talk about this in the team too, like, mm-hmm. like, why are we so behind with all this? Like, we should be thinking about how can we progress greater ideas within this new economy that's coming up. We should be in the front of the economy. We should be writing the theoretical and the research papers of this new economy that's coming up. Rather, we we're waiting for changes and then we're adjusting to it. And maybe in 10 years, we'll see, okay, there's 10%, 20% halal projects out there or you know, Muslim entrepreneurs who are running the project. Mm-hmm. But right now, there's very few of us who are in this industry. And um, yeah. it's like, what's going on? You 100%. That, you really bring up a really interesting point. And Hanal, it really just made me think, I've touched upon that. I've done a lot of research on the Islamic golden age. I actually, we have a series on our YouTube channel on Muslim pioneers. I talk about some of the, some of the great thinkers uh, of the Islamic golden age. And when I, when I did this research, and I really did it for my own pleasure, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. what I found is that there really was a very long period in time where people would actually come to the Muslims to get their knowledge. They would come to the Muslims to get all of their ideas on philosophy, all of their ideas on science, all mm-hmm. their ideas on math, and then they would go back and bring it back to their communities and their cultures and their societies. Yep, and yep. we were really at the forefront of everything. And you even had um, the... It's not the it was it's not called the government at the time. It's there's a different name that's escaping me right now. But essentially, I'm going to use quote unquote the words government right now. That was funding the scholars, right? And mm-hmm. the thing is, at that time, we this when you were a scholar, when you were when you were um, uh, essentially even a student of knowledge, you had funding, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas I think right now as well. It's like we're not really promoting entrepreneurship as much within the Muslim community. And we have a lack of solutions when it comes to halal funding and halal investments as well within startups, which is I I know for a fact has been um, a question and and really a a desire that that many people have expressed to me is I really want to start this business, have this project, but I don't know where can I find a halal investor so I can really start this. I don't want to take on a loan with interest. Now, I know, again, Alhamdulillah, I've had the opportunity to interview um, Osman from Forza Capital and a few other amazing guys that are building businesses that are working towards solving that problem. Um, and inshallah, it is in the process of being solved. Um, but again, it's in the process, right? We're still not there yet, right? I think there's so much more to be done. But I'm also happy to see that there is a transformation being made, yeah. being made alhamdulillah. Yeah. Now, one question that I do want to ask, since you did mention the Marhaba DeFi uh, project, I interviewed recently um, Brother Khalid Hawladar. I don't know if you ever spoke to him, met him before. Yeah, he's, he's part of my team. I talk to him every week. Awesome. <laughs> Beautiful, bro. So smart guy. Had, Very smart awesome, guy. Awesome, man. He's amazing. I'm, I, I had such a pleasure like speaking to him, alhamdulillah. And... Um, when I was speaking, speaking to Khalid, he mentioned Marhaba DeFi because I know he's a chairman on the board. Um, and I didn't get the chance to touch upon it as much as I wanted to during our mm-hmm. conversation because we touched on so many things. Mashallah, he's a man of so much knowledge. It's mm-hmm. incredible. Um, so I'm going to take this opportunity today to touch okay. upon it with you. But before I do, mm-hmm. there is one question that I definitely want to ask and I want to shine, shine a light on for you specifically. Mm-hmm. What is for you a belief that you had going into entrepreneurship, going into business, that once you've started this journey, you've realized this was a misconception or I had this belief, I had, you know, this image of what it would be and this is what the reality actually was. Because I think one thing in this space is that a lot of people come in with certain preconceptions and then they realize, well, oh, entrepreneurship is a completely different game. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Um, 
there's so many lessons, man. This whole journey has been like, you know, like imagine a 10 year degree into like two years. Right. Um, SubhanAllah, um, here, this may motivate a lot of people. Um, you don't have to be a very smart prodigy individual to go into entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. You can start something very small and you will learn a million things. And since you learn a million things, you will grow. You can do something a little bit bigger. You will go, you can continue to take that small seed that you planted and make it into a massive tree. What I'm trying to say is I thought there will be aspects that are very difficult to launch a project. And I learned within one to two years that if you're a smart learner and a fast learner and you can implement one really big thing is a lot of people don't talk about this is you don't need to do lip service. You need to know how to action on those lip service. There's a lot of people who can give you strategy, talk about it, blah, 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 blah. You need to, if you can act upon it and you can learn how to act upon it, you will be perfectly fine. You'll have a very good journey. You will grow fast. You will, um, you know, at the end of the day, you will make more than you can imagine from Mm -hmm. being an entrepreneur because the last, the, the least thing that you'll get is so much education that's more worthy than your four years degree. The best thing is that you launch a, a project that's worth, you know, quant- unquantifiable because some people find success as happiness some people find success in different things. So, but I'll just say you launch a project that in two, three years is worth millions and millions of dollars. So you've done something that's impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not as difficult as you think, as long as you're a smart learner, a fast learner, and someone who can act upon the things that you've learned. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I really appreciate you sharing that. And with that being said, Touching upon the Marhaba DeFi project, tell me about that a little bit. What for you has been your experience joining that team as well as mm-hmm. what is it that you're actually working on? For those of, for our listeners who don't even know what this project is about, can you give us kind of like the bird's eye view of what it is, what your vision is with this project, inshallah, as well as, you know, just what can people expect from this project that you're doing? For sure, for sure. So right now, if you look at the crypto world, everybody's heard about crypto. Everybody's heard about Dogecoin, Shiba Inu, blah, 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 blah. But the but like there's not a lot of understanding of the entire sphere as a whole from our community, either because the ulama in the past have said it's non-permissible or some uh, or you know our people are usually a little bit more behind in understanding things and taking actions upon it. This is the reason why genuinely I think your channel should be at somewhere like six to seventy thousand subscribers, but mm. it's not. And I understand that. Similarly, I, I have I have a similar feeling about some other uh, YouTubers and a little bit of myself also. Anywho, so. Um, there's a lot of solutions in the crypto world and the DeFi world that are, are replicating the conventional banking sector. So, for example, they'll take whatever is happening in the banking world and they've made it in the DeFi world, or they've taken whatever is happening in um, other parts of the, the global economy and put it into the crypto world, right? Within the crypto sector, there's a lot of different things. There's stable coins, DeFi, NFTs, uh, crypto for utilities, cryptos that are used for fractional commodities. There's a lot of different angles to this. What we're focusing on is we're trying to develop a a complete ecosystem solution, which is halal, industry, and ethical. Something that uh, under ethical, it talks about, you know, uh, sustainability, aspects of ESG, interest-free, you know, it's interest-free, and uh, halal is everything that could be in regards to halal. So, for example, we don't promote uh, weaponry, we don't promote, you know, uh, like sexuality, and all these different things through our platform. Um, because we have an NFT uh, uh, angle to it, we have a commodities angle to it, we have 
um, a wallet in it. We have about eight products under this one ecosystem. Pretty much um, that ecosystem is a one L shop for your crypto needs. You can go on there, you can trade, you can go get NFTs, you can make passive income, you can buy commodities. For example, buying gold on the blockchain, right? That's very, very, very interesting because now you don't have to uh, buy gold and keep it in your house in a protective vault. It's You know it's in a vault somewhere in uh, Australia, Switzerland, or you know whichever country it is, and you're buying it through blockchain. And since it's a blockchain, no one can ever alter that, that you don't own it. You will always own it because you have a contract on the blockchain. And so whenever you do want to sell it, you just pretty much sell, you can sell that contract or you can pretty much contact the uh, organization to send you the, the gold itself. And then you can pretty much just sell, sell the gold in physical form. Um, so we're working on those type of things. We're going to have a launch pad. Pretty much an all-end solution when it comes to the crypto world uh, from a, for the halal market, for the ethical market. And um, because there's no other projects out there that folks, mm-hmm. well, there weren't any projects because when I started, and I literally started because I was looking for solutions while I was making my YouTube videos. I didn't find solutions. And then, alhamdulillah, I brought these brothers and we all worked together and we, we pushed this project out. That's amazing. If I could ask you in one sentence to summarize for me, what is the problem that mm. Marhaba DeFi solves and why do we need a solution f- within the Muslim community? Why do we need a company that is solving or a, an organization that is solving this problem? Okay, there's a, there is a $3 trillion fiat economy that needs to be, that in the future as the world moves towards DeFi needs solutions in the DeFi. There were no solutions in the DeFi for that $3 trillion economy, which is the Islamic finance economy. We are the first solution for that for the new economy uh, or one solution that's a complete ecosystem solution. And we're trying to bring a service for anyone who's interested to jump into the crypto world as a Muslim that they can feel comfortable to buy, sell, trade or whatever they want to do in the crypto world. They can do it through our platform. Okay, I love that. So what you're doing is you're creating almost like a filter where someone can hop on Marhaba DeFi. They can they can essentially, and I don't know if that's going to be manifesting through. Is this going to be an app that you guys are going to provide? I know you guys are going to. I know you guys, of course, will be building your own wallet, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. So walk me through how tangibly, like someone listening to this that doesn't know much about crypto but that wants to tap into the space, mm-hmm. how is Marhaba going to help them? Is is it going to give them an app where it's going to be like, hey, look, you can use Marhaba currency to then go and purchase or trade all these different cryptocurrencies that we've vetted that are ethical and halal. Mm-hmm. How's that going to work? Beautiful. You pretty much kind of summarized half of it. So right. uh, there's a Sahal wallet, which is the, the the entrance to our entire ecosystem. So the Sahal mm-hmm. wallet is actually already public. Version 2 will be launching in mid-September, uh, which version 2 means like uh, our first version is already out there. You'll If you download it right now, you'll see there's a lot of tokens already on there that we have vetted. We have seen uh, you know the, the research in from a technical perspective in, uh, and also a qualitative quantitative perspective and we've uh, we have an entire sharia board that goes through these each token and sees if it's permissible or not permissible and then they put it on the wallet if it's permissible version 2 is going to be coming out version 2 will let you do more trading um it will you know you there's a lot more functionalities to it and because it's a decentralized or it's a a non-custodial wallet that means it's a wallet that doesn't require KYC. Mm-hmm. So right now, if you buy crypto, um, majority of the people buy it through an exchange, which requires KYC. But that's not the basis of what crypto was created for. Crypto was made to make to make it decentralized. So there is no middle person. So we focused on the heart of what crypto was uh, made from, 
uh, and and we developed our ecosystems from that format. So right now you can you can buy our tokens from a centralized place also, but you can also get it from a decentralized place through our Sahal wallet. Okay. Now, one question that I do have, a little bit more general, zooming out from Marhaba yeah. DeFi in general and really into the cryptocurrency space, because I know it's something that you talk about a lot on your channel. And um, I, I want to try to you know squeeze as much juice out of you as possible in this episode. I'm going to be a little bit selfish. So tell me about cryptocurrency as a whole, because it is one of the main topics that I see you talk about. Yeah. And uh, for those of you, just as a side note, who want to go and explore uh, Ahmed's channel and go and subscribe to him, please go ahead and do so. Uh, just search Mashallah Money in YouTube and you'll be able to find the channel. Go and give him a subscribe, drop a comment saying, you know, Abby sent me here and, and, and make sure to give him a like on his videos, inshallah. Um, but one thing that I do want to know from you, where do you see this space going versus traditional finance, especially at a, at a period right now where we are, we have clearly entered a recession and faith in the dollar specifically is starting to wane, at least for me, 100%. Like the way inflation is going right now, the way the economy is, just the amount of debt that the, that the governments have taken upon themselves over the last few years, especially with COVID, absolutely ridiculous. So where do you see traditional finance heading? Where do you see cryptocurrency heading in your opinion? Again, I know it's, of course, a matter of opinion. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, from my perspective, look, the whole thing started when Nixon took us off the, the dollar standard, like the gold standard. Mm-hmm. This that's where the whole problem started, and in 2008, we saw the massive um, reflection of that, and then that's where the whole Bitcoin aspect started. That we want to take the hands off of finance and money from the middlemen, which is the banks, the governments, the reserves, um, you know, and other big major economy players, to the hands of the people, and because there's no middle people, the de- the decision making is more for you know you can make decisions of your money on your own basis. Like right now, um, like a trillion dollars were just printed recently. Mm-hmm. And how does this affect the economy? How does it affect, affect people? And why is the dollar not crashing? I mean, technical, all macroeconomics or ec- economists would be like, the dollar should be crashing because there's such a high supply and not in, like it's the same demand that it was about, you know, a few months ago or like a few years ago. So why is it not crashing? Well, they, they enforce their power through because they have to now. They don't have a choice through military yeah. and different things. Anywho, fiat systems are um, are showing their issues and problems, and now there's a solution. Through the ledger system or through the crypto world, you can do transactions. You can make money move without having any middle individuals uh, involved. And there are economies that are uh, shifting towards that. For example, I was just in Dubai. Dubai, can, Dubai will accept crypto as a form payment if you want to buy a house the bible wow. said wow. we're not charging taxes so we don't really have to know all the income and cash flows if you want to buy a house okay this is this is the the cost you can just transfer it to us we'll write the transaction id because you know whenever you make a crypto transaction there's a tra- transaction hash and that hash will live on forever and so we will just push that forward and you know here's your uh, your asset class and you can enjoy it and you can you can do whatever you want with it. Venezuela's doing it. Like, there's a lot of economies that I've started to understand. There's a lot of value of having um, crypto-based financial system. Now, a lot of people say, oh, well, technically crypto is a, a, a product that's made from the sky. At least fiat at some time, or like you know, dollar at some at some time was backed by gold. It is not anymore, but it was at some time. Well, if you take the current system, monetary system, it's not technically backed by anything. They can they can keep printing whatever amount they want, and the and we can see that the reserves are not getting punished for it. 
Because if they were getting punished for it, the dollar would have crashed. Mm -hmm. So similarly, in the crypto, you can do that. But the beauty of crypto is that because it's a natural utility and natural demand-based asset, it has no value if people are not going to put demand to it. So because people are putting demand to it, there is value to it. So for example, let's take Ethereum as an example. Well, Ethereum as an asset that, mm. that has a lot of value right now. It does. It's right now at 1600 US dollars. Why does it have that much demand? It's because one, you can use it as a form of transaction. Two, you can develop on it. A, a mm. developer can build on it to make decentralized organ, or decentralized organizational apps, mm. right? DApps, right? Or DAOs, yeah. okay? Uh, decentralized application programs and stuff like that. So you can develop on it. So there's a natural demand for it. You can make NFTs on it, right? Mm -hmm. There's a natural demand for people wanting to take their legal contracts and make NFTs out of it. Mm -hmm. So they're ever living. For example, if you take your uh, third world countries, there's so many third world countries that have this problem where legal government documents got burned because of some reason or they yeah. got they got destroyed. Mm -hmm. Well, the reason is usually somebody paid corruption money and things got missing. Mm -hmm. If you had them as an NFT on the blockchain, they will live on forever as long as there's internet and there's Wi-Fi. No one can ever remove them from the decentralized world. Mm -hmm. Unless somebody who owns it wants to destroy it. If mm -hmm. someone who owns it doesn't want to destroy it, nothing will happen to it. You cannot pay someone to just go and destroy it. Mm -hmm. So there's a natural demand for it. And um, because of that natural demand, there is that aspect of utility. And then there's an aspect, and then that utility is driving the value. So I see the future this is where it goes back to the question. And the reason why I'm kind of giving you a backstory and then giving the front is because it's not, if I give you a front, no one's going to understand the backstory. Backstory is kind of important. I appreciate so, that, of course. So now when, when it comes to the future, people have started realizing, well, we don't want to keep fiat because we don't know what's going on with fiat. And due to hyperinflation, we don't know what's going to happen to our money. So we want to have it in an asset class that is backed by some type of utility. So then when it does come to like sell it, potentially its value is going to be more, or potentially when we do a transaction, our transaction is not back well, one, it's not, there's no middle, middle person to it, but our transaction has the same value that it started off with. Like for example, the asset that we're transacting has the same value that it started off with. So if you have one Ethereum, you push it to, to buy something that was one Ethereum two, two, three months ago. Now it's also the same price two, three months later. Mm -hmm. So that inflation aspect kind of, gets controlled a little bit more also. Understood. So that's really perspective, interesting perspective that you share. Now, there's one question that I do want to ask as well to follow up on that. Mm -hmm. What is your opinion in, you know, we're seeing a lot of really big companies investing in the cryptocurrency space in general right now. I know in the just in, uh, in the last quarter, I think Amazon, Google, some of the biggest companies invested millions of dollars in cryptocurrencies companies and, and, and just in the metaverse, metaverse in general. Uh, Facebook changed its name to Meta. All these things are happening. And so we know that the space is here and it's here to stay. But one thing that is slightly concerning is right now, the government as well is seeing the weakening of the dollar and... Mm -hmm seeing as well cryptocurrency as the future. They're starting to catch on and starting to see the potential of this space. And I, I do believe that eventually they will try to tap into the space as well and potentially either create some, some sort of like centralized currency or, you know, basically just say, hey, okay, we're moving on to crypto as well or we're offering our own crypto coin, uh, but it's really backed by, it's really controlled by the government, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that would be the right move 
is that a promising thing or is that is that something that we generally want to avoid do we want to keep things decentralized well they they will try to push that and they can potentially push that to a certain point because it is a ledger system after all and if they do really want to see how much money you're making from different angles they can mm -hmm. because you because it's a ledger system they can go into the ledger and see how much is each wallet making so mm -hmm. they can institutionalize this and make it a, a global, like, you know, for, for, for their country, they can make it a, a mandatory thing that each person is aligned with one wallet address. So we know exactly who is having which wallet address. And then the money that goes to that wallet, they can kind of uh, mm -hmm. see and then they can tax it and all that stuff. But this is the beauty of decentralized because the current and the, the, the initial starting community of crypto has accepted decentralized they will stay decentralized. They will continuously make a, a microeconomy or macroeconomy, depending on you know what happens in the future. Potentially, I think it's going to be a macroeconomy where they will transact between one another and never will the government know about, because we're not using the government systems. You're using the systems that are made in the decentralized world. Mm -hmm. So there will be, there, I think there will be a, a, a method that the governments come up with like stable coins, which are backed by the US, like backed by the US economy. And then that is what is, um, linked to the wallet addresses of each person. And then the, the government can see exactly how much money each person is making, and then they can tax it accordingly. And then, um, you know, that, that, that is a very real thing that could happen, but because there is an entire decentralized economy going already, people will not want to step out of that economy to come into a centralized economy on the crypto world. Mm -hmm. So. You can still say decentralized because technically I know a lot of people who are fully decentralized. They, they, they never have to touch fiat currency. Like everything they do, 90% of it is all decentralized. Interesting. And, and so they're living in a decentralized way of finance. So like their, 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 their um, rental is paid on crypto. Their food is bought on crypto. Their air, airlines tickets are bought on crypto. They're pretty much, um, the only thing they I think they have to pay for is probably gas. And that too, they can put on, crypto by having a crypto card mm -hmm. so yeah i mean there's an entire economy that's decentralized already yeah it's a really interesting direction i'm curious to really see like where the next few years take us um and and as you mentioned looking at that as well having like marhaba DeFi in the picture i definitely think we could use so many more uh islamic backed projects uh within this space as well just to have a bit more representation and you know a bit more uh just platforms that really represent our values to be honest with you yeah. so I'm going to wrap this up by asking you a question that I ask every single entrepreneur on this podcast and, and, and one that is one of my favorites. If you could meet Ahmed from, I don't know how young you are right now, but let's say you were 18 years old. Let's rewind the clocks a little bit. And you were just about to dive into adulthood. And of course, eventually this journey of entrepreneurship and where you are right now. And you could give young Ahmed one piece of advice, one piece of advice that he could hold on to through his journey that will allow him to essentially remember, refer to, and, and really, inshallah, maybe have a, an easier an easier path. What would you tell him? What kind of advice would you give him? Um, I would say, um, and this is not cheesy, or not trying to be cheesy or cheeky. For sure. I would genuinely try to learn the seerah of the Prophet, sallallahu mm. and develop into it as much as possible. Because when you live on a way of huck and the truth and you understand why it is what it is um your life is much different your life is much more 
in line with how it should be and you must you live a much happier successful growth and um you know clean lifestyle it's it's it's, it's beautiful um, what, what kind of impact has that made on your life to learn about the seed of the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam it's and i know that's a big question yeah yeah it's 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 i mean it's technically the way of living right it's it's um mm -hmm. Because you know, when you're when you're younger, I mean, I was still religious, but there's aspects of religion that you know you still don't understand until you learn it through dawah or through you know learning on your own time. Um, you you have a mindset of how you're gonna work or live or what's gonna happen in your life, um, and it's not very organized, it's not very structured. If I was younger and I I had learned the things that I had learned in my recent years, I think I would be much further in life in Dean and Dunya. So, uh, and, and you start realizing genuinely, like we all talk about this, that this world is just a blip and you're going to go into the Akira. But none of, I don't think a lot of us kind of internalize it. Because if you truly internalized it, we wouldn't sacrifice anything of the Akhra for this dunya. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like I, I have a lot of brothers around me or sisters around me who are okay with taking interest-based XYZ all the time. Because... They're like, oh, we don't have a choice. Well, let's take this first stance. Like, this is something that always moves me as a human being. The concept of Alhamdulillah in, in Deen is very, very beautiful. You know, there's a time and, and there was a battle that the Rasul was with the Sahabas. And the Sahabas came running and, the, and the, they lifted up the shirt and they said, look, we're, we've tied a rock to our stomach because we're that hungry. There's so much pain. We're that hungry. And God forgive me if I, if I move the story a little bit here and there. Mm -hmm. um, then the Prophet Wasallam lifted up his shirt. And there was, I think, more than the rocks that they were wearing. Yeah. And he is the greatest man on the planet ever to exist. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like that concept is so beautiful and so pure that he would understand that you shouldn't be sacrificing your the the, the guidelines for uh, the dunya because actually you're hurting yourself in the long run. The people who are going to like, for example, right now the interest rates in Canada has just moved up. There's so many brothers that I know who cannot afford the difference that has happened. Mm -hmm. When Rub had told you stay away from Rub Riba, and you were like, oh, it's only two percent. Let me go in. It's it's it's, it's in a good financial decision. Now it's going to be a nine percent in September con consumer rate. What are you going to do? That's what mm -hmm. happens. That's very boring. So anywho, what I'm trying to say is, yeah. truly try to understand what the sirah is, what 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 the guidelines are, what what fiqh is, what uh, uh, and and try to follow it to the best of your ability, because you're going to end up in a better positive, net positive for dunya and, and the akhara. I hope mm. that kind of summarizes the question. That, How about yourself? I, I, I love... I, I love that brother and I love you for sharing that man and for just you know uh, that's such a beautiful way to wrap up this episode truly I, I've had an absolute pleasure having you on uh, where can we tell people to go I know we mentioned your YouTube channel so mashallah money make sure to go check that out guys is there anything or anywhere else that we should tell people to go to connect with you and support you inshallah yeah I mean um, you can go on my Instagram uh, same thing mashallah money um, there might be a few other ones but try to find one that's linked to the YouTube and then there's also uh a TikTok. I'm not really active on TikTok and Instagram, uh, but you can always message me and I respond to uh, like genuine questions or like questions that I think I can add value to. If I can't give you an answer, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't have the answer to everything in life, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be honest and be like, hey, can't answer. 
stuff. Love it. Awesome, man. Well, you've been very generous on this podcast and it just, it just, it's just a testament to who you are as a person. So Rizekhala Khir for that, okay. for joining me on today. It was an absolute pleasure. Uh, and guys, please go ahead and subscribe to Mashallah Money on YouTube. Uh, go ahead and follow me on Instagram, TikTok, if you're on that platform, as well as subscribe to Umarpreneur as well and follow us and, and subscribe to this podcast. And most importantly, guys, we were just talking about this earlier in the episode. Mashallah Ahmed here, okay? has been working on this project for almost two years, right? Helping Muslims to really understand the difference between what is halal and haram out there in the cryptocurrency space and the Islamic finance space, sharing this value for free, creating all of these YouTube videos and this content. And we know, I mean, you know, you actually don't know. You guys don't know, unless you are creators as well, how much time and effort it takes every single week to plan the videos, to record the videos, to edit the videos. It is a labor of love, my dear friends. And so please go and subscribe and not only subscribe, but go and share it with your family, with your friends and do the same for the Emerpreneur Podcast. Let's be nice. Let's yes. spread the word. Let's, yes. you know, those who, those who spread goodness to others, bring goodness into their lives. This podcast is all about benefiting Muslims. It's all about sharing. I mean, guys, just listen to what Ahmed just said right now, you know, living our life according to our Islamic values. Isn't that beautiful? Go and share this message to other people, guys. Go and spread it around the world and make sure that you let everyone know about this podcast, about Ahmed's projects, and really just, you know, start supporting Muslim entrepreneurs around you that are doing amazing stuff like Ahmed here. All right, guys, I love you all for the sake of Allah. Thank you so much, Brother Ahmed, for coming on. And we'll catch up next time. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.